Guys, welcome to the show. Uh, today I've got Brian Rimza, a friend of mine, and we're going to talk all about the Arizona elk and antelope draw and how the whole draw process works. And there's going to be quite a bit of uh, good tidbits of information on the different units and, and such. Um, Brian brings a lot to the table. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, again, uh, love all the questions and comments. Please send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Also, guys, can you go on iTunes if you listen on iTunes and give me a uh, review? Um, that helps my placement on iTunes, and I need all the reviews I can get. Give me a fair shake. You know, if I'm not if I'm not pulling my weight, I, I, I'm okay with it. But please give me a review. Obviously, I'd like positive reviews. Uh, but either way, give me a review. I appreciate your support. Um, let's get right to it. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Brian Rimza. Brian and I have been on a lot of hunts uh, together and known each other for years. And Brian is for Outdoor Group, which is Elite Archery. That is correct. And uh, Brian and I do a lot of turkey hunting together and uh, just known each other and hung out for a long time. I've always looked up to you as someone that is very knowledgeable in the field of hunting, but specifically archery hunting. That's, that's your true passion. Uh, but you're also not one of these archers that's, you know, you'll pick up a gun and shoot something. You love bow hunting. I'm an equal opportunity. Hunter. Yeah. But I mean, if you had to choose, you're going to bow hunt. That's my preference. I, I'm, I just enjoy that opportunity and the chance of trying to get closer and, you know, kind of out with the animal from yeah. a much closer, you know, more of a personal range than, you know, reaching out and touching them. But that doesn't mean I won't pick up a gun if that's, you know, what the hunt presents. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen you on turkey hunts where you use your bow. Um, we, I was there when you drew your Gould's turkey tag in Arizona and you used your bow. And, um, but I've also seen you shoot turkeys with a shotgun. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that, I like the fact that you're an equal opportunist. Not that I hold it against anyone. My friend Casey Brooks only uses a bow, and that's what he wants to do. And okay, fine. Um, but I kind of like the fact that you just, you know, you'll kill them however, whatever it takes. I just enjoy hunting. Yeah. So I mean, if I draw a good rifle tag, and that's what presents itself, and that's what I'm gonna, how I'm gonna hunt that hunt. And you know, if I draw a good archery tag, then I'm gonna do my best to get after it with my bow. I think the only thing with Rimza that, I mean, it's just, it, it just deep down inside, it just makes me cringe with Rimza that I just, it's one of those things you just can't figure out. You don't understand how someone could go to the University of Arizona. You had to go there right at the beginning. <laughs> how was that football game this year, by the way? It was a pretty good one, I we, think. We have had some fun over the years, uh, Rimza and I, talking about the rivalry with ASU and U of A. And, of course, I say that all in good fun, and we, we have a lot of fun with it. But, uh, you know, if, if ASU's ever playing uh, football or basketball or baseball or freaking lacrosse it doesn't matter we always seem to rib each other if you know there, there's a swim meet going on where he's like hey did you catch that you know we kicked your butt so it's it's a fun thing to have and i have that relationship with several of my u of a uh buddies but uh brian you grew up here uh in the phoenix area uh and then went on to go to the u of a I uh did. and um uh, now you're a, a police officer as a profession that's correct. Uh, here in the Phoenix area. And, and so you have grown up hunting in Arizona. 
Um, you're, you're in your mid thirties and, um, you know, you're someone that I consider is still young, but you have a lot of experience for someone of your age. Um, I've been real fortunate to have a dad that hunted a lot. And so he got me started, you know, building points early and playing the draw game. And, you know, it has benefited me because, in 2013, I drew my Rocky tag and I killed a great Rocky with my bow and you were there. And that was the last of the big game animals in Arizona that I needed to harvest. Uh, so I've been real fortunate to draw some good tags. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Some of it's been on some just getting lucky, but I've been benefit, you know, the benefit of drawing, building points for a long time and then playing that draw game and then going out going out there and you know really getting after it to make sure you you fill those tags with some quality animals you know I, I that brings up a couple good questions the first question i would ask though is um real fast you you talk about your rocky mountain bighorn correct me if i'm wrong that was what's called the arizona big 10 that was the completion of your arizona big 10 yeah my, my understanding is the big 10 was kind of created back in the early 90s and and it was really kind of a prestige back then and it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster now and you know now we've added some species because we've added ghouls turkeys we've added real grand turkeys uh who knows we which may you've add. shot both of those too i have so I've you sh- really have the big 12 uh, i think it's 14 now is what okay. it all comes down to what are the other two um you know they added i i the turkeys aren't really encompassed in that big 10 for a lot of things so you have three species of turkeys in arizona and I, I could write them all down and have to go through them all. But I've been fortunate. Like I said, every big, everything, every big game animal that Arizona recognizes, I've been able to kill uh, almost all with my bow. I did not kill my desert with a bow. I was 16 when I drew that. And I didn't kill my buffalo with a bow. I was 21 when I drew that tag. Mm-hmm. And, but it's just it's, – Arizona is just a plethora of opportunity to hunt. And it's important, I think, that people understand the draw process and – know how to utilize it to benefit whatever their needs are because a lot of people just simply don't understand the draw and I'm kind of a numbers guy. I enjoy that. I enjoy looking at those numbers and trying to figure out a way to kind of game the system. Yeah. And well, I always say like when the, when the new regs come out, like you are usually the first one to say, do you see the regs? I'm like, I didn't even know they're out. And you're like, and you've already dissected them, gone through them, figured out, you know, where the angles are, where the best place to put in your best odds. And before we get into that, I just, I, I want to, when you were growing up hunting with your dad and your dad, you know, having you put in and, and put in for points and what have you, um, you also applied for tags that you could draw. You weren't one of these kids that their dads put them in and you only put in for unit nine for elk or 10 for elk or unit one for elk. I mean, you were like, I want to go hunting. I, I'm just kind of curious if that was a function of your dad applying you and, and, and urging you to just get out and hunt. Or were you like, dad, I just want to hunt. I just want to shoot something. Well, my dad, you know, never got into really trying to harvest the big animal until well into his hunting career and more that's a push from me than it is a push from him so meaning he he just liked to hunt just like you do now and he just wanted to go and shoot and he was happy shooting whatever that's that's what it was about i mean i've never put in i don't think i've ever put in for unit nine for elk i don't think i've ever put in for unit 10 for elk you know when i grew up i put in for it was 4a 
bull first choice, 4A cow second choice, and we would draw tags almost every year. And typically, we draw a bull tag, then a cow tag, and then a bull tag. And I I killed my first elk with a bow when I was 12, killed my first bull with a bow when I was 13, and it was just a product of that's how my dad had me put in. We were always putting in for 4A, which was a substandard unit compared to a 9 or a 10 or a 3C or 1. And so I got the benefit of that experience. I got to hunt. I've killed 13 elk with my bow now. My dad's killed, I think, 35 elk with a bow. You know, granted, I've never killed a bull over 350. My dad's got a couple, all of which came in the last five or six years. But it's that experience that you learn on those hunts is priceless. And I was fortunate to learn it early. So now I can start trying to draw those better tags, so to say, and try and harvest a bigger animal. And I would ask you, you know, with that experience that you gained as a bow hunter, because a lot of those, most of those hunts are bow hunts, um, that experience that you speak of, are you, are you talking more in essence of like scouting, uh, process of the hunt, how to prepare yourself for the hunt, you know, when to draw your bow? Are you talking about all of that combined? And how, how in your mind is that important compared to just someone that, you know, waits for 10 years to draw a tag and then they drew the best tag in the state of Arizona, but they really don't know how to hunt? Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's the tough thing about putting in for nine or 10. If you've never hunted elk and you've waited 16 years for an elk tag and now you've drawn a unit nine tag, which you're super excited about and rightfully so, you don't have any, so to say, elk hunting experience you don't understand the scouting process. You may not understand when to draw your bow when that elk steps behind the tree. And, you know, you really need to have that killer instinct when it comes down to it, because sometimes you got to make it happen. And if you don't make it happen, then it just passes you by. And so it's a really tough situation because if you're a guy who has 15 points and you've been, you know, your mid forties, you're not going to put in for that substandard elk tag and i understand that but it's really important for you to get out there on those years you don't draw and kind of learn what's going on you know learn how the elk act and you know how you want to hunt them you know when, when i was growing up i was fortunate to be successful because my dad put me in a tree stand and i sat over water that's all i did shooting a 40 40 45 pound bow and all i did was sit water and i killed multiple elk that way because it was effective did you get to, in that situation as a kid? Did you get to pick your water hole, or did you have any say in it? And did your dad? Did you guys get in any arguments over where you were sitting, or was it like Brian, this is where you're sitting, and here's your stand, or was it like Brian, where do you think you want to sit? I mean, at what point in time maybe did you get a say in where you got to where you got to sit and what have you? I think up to the point of where I was dri- when I started driving is really when it you know I started branching out and doing my things. Um, I relied on my dad up until that point. And, you know, he always put me in good places that he had maintained with his brothers throughout the years. And so, I mean, I was always in a good spot. I never felt like I wasn't in a good spot. And, you know, we had some great elk hunts in 4A. Some, some years we killed five bulls in four or five days, you know, and we weren't killing big bulls, but we were sure having a good time. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've just enjoyed hunting with your dad. Uh, we hunt turkeys almost every year and, and I just... What's fun about your dad is I see the love of the hunt and he just likes to go. He likes to hunt. He likes it. He likes to talk with his buddies. He likes to have fun, uh, you know, and he likes to go, go, go. And I see that translate into you 
And it's, it's fun actually sometimes to go with the both of you because you're both going 100 miles an hour and, you know, just having fun. Uh, and I, I, I just wonder if that's something that you could actually teach or do you think that's just part of who you are? Well, I think a little bit of that, you know, we lose touch with that because sometimes I lose touch with the fact of it's just about having fun because I want him to be ready and kill a big bull. And, you know, a couple years back, we were on a big bull twice and it just didn't materialize for a different, a couple of different reasons that we maybe could have prevented. And he ends up killing a bull later on in the hunt at a pretty good poke with my little brother. And he shot it at low light with a Luminoc and he thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I mean, you know, we're hunting on a private ranch with some really good bulls on it. And he was, he was way happier to shoot a broken, broken main B bull than to have shot the bull that we missed. that was probably 385, 390, you know, and it was just because of the whole experience. And he, he gets that, you know, and there's nothing wrong with trophy hunting, but he definitely wants to go out and have a good time. If it, if the bull's three comes in screaming and he's 345, he's probably going to shoot him. You know, it's just the way my dad is. Yeah. And I, I know from, you know, sitting with them and calling turkeys with them and having birds come in and strutting and gobbling and he loves it when it works and it's really going good. And, but the thing is that I really like about your dad is the fact that when the hunt's sucking, he's making jokes and he's, you know, it's, 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 he understands the whole process and it's not just about when it's good to have a smile on your face. He's laughing and joking, even when it's a grind and it's sucking and you know, the whole thing. And, uh, I, I think that carries over into you. You're intense. You hunt intense. I, I hunt. I'm intense. Um, but it's also fun to know that that grind is part of the process. And, and I think that just comes from doing a lot of hunting and realizing that your time's going to come within the hunt. Right. You know, and it's not always what you see on Instagram or on Facebook or on the TVs, you know, that, you know, it's, oh, it's just an easy hunt that's right i mean i take the pride in working hard and sometimes that working hard is takes a little bit of the i guess the fun out of it during that moment because you're just busting your tail so hard and going so hard but then when it all comes together it's really really fun to look back on and and realize that your hard work really paid paid dividends yeah for sure you know and i see that hard work with you in your archery deer you've shot some great archery deer and that takes a lot of work a lot of perseverance it takes a lot of time uh it takes a, a, a lot of work in the off season you're always you know putting up trail cameras you're checking tanks you're you're always out there working and striving and you know you i look here in your trophy room and you know you have just trophies upon trophies some are bigger than others um and that's how it should be i mean you you have coos deer from every size you have elk from every size you know you shot the tied the state record when you drew your rocky mountain bighorn it's just awesome to see the love of the hunt for you today i want to talk about the arizona elk and and antelope draw um but primarily elk and i want to ask you like why do you think the arizona draw is better than people think because the general consensus is like arizona is just a draw state and you'll never draw a tag and i gotta be honest sometimes i fall into that category of if it's not one of the top two or three hunts i don't i'm not even interested what is your thoughts on that well i i don't think arizona's draw gets the credit that it should because for one, people don't understand the draw. If you don't understand the draw and how it works, then it's hard to appreciate what it is. The other thing is, is if you don't apply in other states, 
specifically Western states, then you really don't understand how good we have it. The fact of the matter is with Arizona's draw is that every year, every person who applies, whether you're a resident or a non-resident, has a chance to draw. Now, you can increase your chances, and we'll talk about that, by utilizing your draw choices appropriately, or you can minimize your chances by swinging for the fences. It's just a matter of what your preference are. But there are states like Utah and Colorado that, you know, I have 17 bonus points for Elk and Colorado, and I can't draw the top three units at yeah, all. Because, because they it's only... a preference point system, right? Right. They... Explain the difference between like a preference point system and a bonus point system. I'm not 100... In, in general terms. 100% specific, but the deal is with Colorado is that if you don't have the max points, you're not drawing the tag. Like if you don't have 17... If this unit, say 61, takes 17 points, if you don't have 17... You have no chance to draw zero, right. none. Right. Like 201 is Colorado's best unit, and they issue one non-resident tag. And I think as for an archery permit, it takes 21 points. So if you're not that person with 21 points, you're never going to draw that tag. And Arizona doesn't have that. Every, every year, someone with no points can draw any tag in this state. It's just a matter of you know, luck at that point. Right. So, and, and now with the change that's been made... Well, I, I want to make one more point before we talk about the change that's been made that, that Arizona made this last year. Let's keep in mind, too, that non-residents could apply for antlerless cow elk archery tags in some great units, like a unit one, like a unit 3C, just for example, and get to experience the same bugling bulls, get to see the same bugling bulls, but they're going to shoot a cow. Just like also they could go to the White Mountain Apache and buy a antlerless, you know, buy a cow tag and hunt, maybe not in the peak dates of the rut, but like early October when they're still bugling and get to enjoy a pretty cool experience. So for people out there to say there's no opportunity, I think there's plenty of opportunity if you just look around and you're willing to, to, to go with a cow tag. Also, I think there's opportunity if you're just willing to draw some of what I would call the lower or mid-tier units and go elk hunting. And pretty much every unit in this state, you have a chance to shoot a 350 bull. I mean... And we'll get into that. I know you, you wanted to talk about that, but it's there is opportunity in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I've hunted elk in Colorado, and I would put any. I would rather have an elk tag in any one of Arizona's draw units, you know, an archery bull tag during the rut, than just about any Colorado elk tag because I could. I feel like I could kill just about as good. As, <coughs> excuse me, good a bull in Arizona that I could in Colorado. Now I'm not talking about the private ranches in Colorado and things of that nature. And you mentioned the, the cow tag on the White Mountain, Apache, White Mountain Apache. I've hunted that tag. That's a blast. And you get to see some giant bulls. Yeah. And, you know, for I think it's $400 tag now. Yeah. It's a great experience. And it, you're honing your skills. And you're getting some great meat. And it, it's fun. Yeah. And I believe the San Carlos and the Wallapai and the, um, uh, the Wallapai and let's see maybe even the Supai, I believe some of the different reservations, they also offer opportunities as well. So, I mean, and as well as other states too, there's, there's other opportunities, but Arizona is, you know, if you look around, there is opportunity to shoot elk. Uh, 
Let's talk a little bit about the change uh, that was made uh, to make the non-residents actually have more of a chance. And with the 5% of the tags, let's, let's talk about that. Well, I, the change for the non-residents, if you're a non-resident that doesn't have a lot of points or hasn't been building points, or I would say are in that range of, for elk example, you know, 10 points or less, it's probably a benef- beneficial change to you. Because what they did is they said that, we'll use Unit 9, for example, has 100 archery bull tags. So up to 10% of those tags are available to non-residents. Well, half of those tags, so five of those tags are eligible to non-residents in the max draw, or they call it the bonus point pass draw. Which means the people that are non-residents that are applying for unit nine that have the most points for that unit. Correct. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the bonus, if five of those tags are eligible in the bonus pass to non-residents, and then additional um, five tags are up to five tags or up to 10% of the tags are available in the, what they call the one, two or first and second choice pass, which is the basically the random draw, if you will. And so where that benefits non-residents is before this went into effect, typically almost all 10 tags for non-residents in unit nine would go to people with at or near maximum bonus points, which is typically, I believe this year, it's 17 or 18 points. Sorry, that's probably a hunter calling right there. It's typically 17 or 18 points. Um, And so it gives you, as a non-resident, a chance to draw that tag without having maximum points, which I think is important. However, I do understand if you're that guy with 17 points and have been, you know, consistently for... 16, 17 years building points in Arizona, you just lost your opportunity for half of those tags. And you still have a chance for those tags in the random, but your odds are not as good because they're now not in the max draw. So in essence, the the, the guys that have a lot of points for elk, uh, you know, 17, 18, 19 points that have been, you know, waiting, now their chances now have been cut in half. So instead of 10 of, in just talking about unit nine to keep it simple with 100 tags, Instead of, let's say there were 12 people with 17 points that were non-residents, instead of 10 of those getting sucked out of that pool of 12 going and getting a tag, only five of those. So in essence, what that's going to cause is what's called point creep. Correct. Your and points explain are going to that up. to me. I mean, the deal with the bonus point system is that if – 17 points we'll say is max for unit nine right now. If only, if there are 20 people to have them and only five tags can go to those people, then you're only going to go down to, you know, 15, 15 people as right. opposed to in years past, you might go down, typically would go down 10. So you right. cut that number in half. Right. Now those other people with 17 points do have the chance to draw, still draw the tag in the random draw, but the odds are much more difficult because they're competing against every non-resident as opposed to just those people with max points. Right, but let's also take the flip side of the guy that has, let's say, the 17 points, and let's say he does get in the 5% and he draws his tag next year. The thing that's different about next year that was always not a chance is now he can go right back into the draw next year with his loyalty point, which he'll keep, 
right, with one point, go right back into the draw. Now he can draw that same unit nine archery elk tag in the random pool. Because he can be up to five non-residents can draw in that random pool. Up to. Yeah. It doesn't mean any can draw, any will draw. Maybe none will, but up to five can. Yeah, you have to understand as a non-resident, up to 10% of the tax can go to non-residents. Correct. So it's up to. It doesn't, it's not a guarantee. It's just a matter of whether you can pull out of that. Now, when I look at that too, I look at it from a resident standpoint. It's actually better for us residents because now the residents actually have more of a chance to draw than they did before. Can you explain that? Well, obviously, if only 5% of the ta- five tags for Unit 9 are going to uh, non-residents with max points, whereas before it could be 10, that gives you an extra five tags for residents in the max draw. Right. So that's beneficial for us as a resident, and it hurts a little bit for those guys with max points or very high point numbers right. as a non-resident. So as a resident, I look at this change. Uh, I do have a lot of buddies that have a lot of points, and you know they're they're crying the blues but what i say is listen for the first time in arizona history where you draw your your let's just use unit nine and you draw let's quote unquote the best tag in arizona the very next year you could draw it again and you could draw it again the next year and you could draw it again the next year it probably won't happen but i'll bet you in the next five years we're going to hear of a case where someone draws one of these great tags two or three years in a row sure and i mean the game and fish really had to do that because What's the benefit to a non-resident putting in for Arizona if they can't draw the best tags? Right. I mean, you have to give them a chance to draw those tags. And I, I don't have the actual total tag applicants to see how much, how much it went up, but I, I would venture to bet that the non-resident applications went up because before I would talk to people on the phone and they would say, I've never applied in Arizona, but I don't even see how I even have a chance because I'll never catch up because there's so many people in front of me. I've got to think the tag numbers for non-residents increased, you know, I would think 30 or 40 or maybe even 50%. You would definitely think that would, it's definitely going to increase it because right. it's going to give people a chance. And, and maybe 50% is too much. Maybe 25 30%, I'll bet you, is what uh, the total tag applicants. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think the change is good. I think the only people that don't like the change are the people that are, you know, have a ton of points and I get it. But I think for the overall system, I think Arizona has one of the best draw systems out there. I would agree with you on that. Um, while we're talking about it, and you, you've already done it a little bit, explain the draw the best way you can kind of in layman's terms. I think it's really important for people to understand this part of, of, this podcast for that matter, because the understanding of the draw will help you be more successful in the draw. So Arizona conducts basically three phases of the draw. The very first part of the draw that's done, they call it the bonus point pass draw. And that's basically where they look at your first and second choice and they're issuing tags to the 20% of people with max points. So they only look at your first and second, uh, first and second choice. And they only look to see if you have max points for that unit. If you're not, you, if, you said something there that needs to be clarified for that unit correct. where it's different than sheep, where they're looking at the total species, right? You're talking the max points for that unit. That okay. is correct. Okay. Go ahead. And so 
that's the first part of the draw. And, and where this kind of comes into play is that if you're a guy who's been building points and you're a resident and say you have 12 points and you decide, you know what, man, I really want that unit nine tag. So I'm going to put unit nine first choice, but then second choice, I'm going to go down and I'm going to, I'm going to put a unit eight in. What people don't understand is that 12 points is not enough to guarantee you a unit nine tag. So in that bonus pa- bonus point pass draw, they're going to look at your application. And they're going to see, okay, unit nine, you have 12 points. You're not in. So they, they skip your first choice. Then they go to your second choice and they say, oh, you put unit eight. Well, look, you got 12 points. That's enough for a resident to draw the tag because it only takes 10. So here's your unit eight tag. And where that's important to understand is that, yes, you put unit nine as your first choice, but you never had a chance to draw it. Ryan, I go over this probably five to seven times a year with non-residents, and they don't quite understand. They say, well, I swung for the fence with the unit nine tag, but I also put in for a seven west as my second, and I had, you know, 16 points. And I'm like, well, congratulations, you you got seven West. They're like, well, how do you know the draw's not even out? I'm like, oh yeah, you, you draw seven West immediately. They're like, well, maybe I drew a unit nine. Then the draw comes out and the credit cards have been hit. And they're saying, I got a credit card hit. I put in for unit nine and I put in for unit seven West, or I put in for unit eight or whatever, you know, the second tier unit is. And they're going, so I, I'm looking at wanting to hire your outfitting services for unit nine. And I'm saying, well, how many points did you have? Well, I had 17. Well, congratulations. Here's the phone number for someone in 7 West or in Unit 8. You just drew that tag. And they're like, well, how do you know? My credit card just got hit. I'm like, if you ever put as a second choice a tag that you will draw 100%, you will automatically get it. Your first choice actually never even gets looked at. That is correct. And where people need to understand is that this information is, you know, available through some of your sponsors like Go Hunt and other places, but it's also available on the Game of Fish website. Right. If you go to the Game of Fish website, which is www.azgfd.com, and you can either search bonus point report or you can click on the hunting tab and scroll down to the bottom where it says additional information and click on draw slash bonus point reports, it'll tell you how many points it took to draw a tag in the max. Right. Now it does it by hunt code. So you need to it's be able challenging to, 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 it's not easy, but yeah. you need to be able to transition it. And you know, it's free for those people who don't want to subscribe to, to go hunt or hunt and fool or other places. Um, but the information is there. And one, one of the funnier places that you see this is this happens also is, is in, for example, the Havelina draw guys don't understand because how can I draw my first choice or draw my second choice when the first choice had leftover tags? And it's just kind of funny how that works out, but people don't understand. And that's why I think it's important that people do pay attention to the draw. So the first phase of the draw is the bonus point pass. It looks at who's got max points for the first two choices they applied for in their hunt code. Then the second part of the draw is what I refer to as the random draw. So everyone's in it. They draw you out of the hat and they look at your first and second choice. If you have a, if your first or second choice is open, then you get a tag. And when you say open in that particular instance, what you're saying is once you go to this, uh, uh, 
what do you call it? The, the I call random, it the random draw. The random. So once it goes to the random, it's actually looking at your first and second choice and saying, what is open? Is your first choice open? Is your second choice open? Well, remember that let's take unit nine. 5% of those tags could go to non-residents, but 20% of those tags go to the people with the most points, but only 5%. But the random draw, which is the second phase, that th- those 20 tags are already filled. They're already filled. So in a case like unit nine, let's say that all 20 are filled. So there's 80 tags left over in a unit nine. That's where in this random portion, you could still draw a tag. Correct. Okay. So once they look through everyone's first and second choices, then you have your third, fourth, and fifth choice pass, which reality of it, people don't understand is that your third, fourth, and fifth choices do not matter unless you're putting in for units that have leftover tags typically. You will not draw your third, fourth, or fifth choice if it's a un- unless it's a unit that has leftover tags. Right. So people need to understand that for elk, your first and second choice are really all that matters unless you're putting in what I would call the dog of the dogs, the opportunity hunts. Then your third and fourth and fifth can have a chance to draw. Some of those are antlerless permits and what have you. But for, for people that are hunting bulls, pretty much your first and second choice are the only thing that matters. Right. Okay. I think that covers the... Are you good? I'm good. I think that covers the draw portion. I think what we ought to talk about now and what I think people really like to hear is kind of, I have, you know this many points, what are some units that I should look at? And I kind of have, you know, my five or six best, like my units, not exactly in an order, but let's say unit nine, uh, as far as Arizona elk quality, unit nine, unit 10, 23 North, 23 South, unit one and three C and 27. So what is that? Six or seven choices. In, right. my, in my mind, those are kind of the top tier units. And then I think you fall into some units like a 7 West, a Unit 8, um, 7 West, a Unit 8, maybe a you know, 7 East, maybe, um, maybe a 4B type of hunt. And then you've got hunts that I would say are like, you know, a, a 3B uh, a 4A, maybe a 4B, maybe a 6B, you know, those type of units. I'm curious to hear kind of how you look at, you know, what would you say are the top six or seven? What would you say are the mid-tier? And what would you say are some of the lower, more opportunity hunts? Well, I mean, I think our top units are pretty obvious to everybody. I mean, you've got 9, 10, uh, 3C, 1, 23, obviously. But with the draw change in 23... Um, for non-residents, there's no non-resident tag anymore for... There's no the, guaranteed non-resident tag, right? right? There's right. nothing. There's no guaranteed tag in the max pool or anything like that. It's basically just a random tag at that point. So, right. I mean, it kind of hurts you as a non-resident because even though you have a ton of points, you're not guaranteed that tag because you're just in the random draw. Yeah, I, I got a call the other day from a guy with 19 points, non-resident. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and draw my 23 tag. And I said, how are you going to do that? So I got 19 points. I said, um, 
It's under 20 tags. So the change is anything under 20 tags. It's completely random. So there can be one non-resident in that 23 North, 23 South, or there can be no resident and completely filled with 15 residents. Right, because the non-resident has to draw on the random. And yes, your draw number may be higher, but you're in the random pool. Right. So I I think that's something that, that with the change, people need to understand that honestly, 23 North, 23 South being probably as far as quality hunts and quality bulls, it's almost getting out of touch for non-residents on one hand. But on the other hand, it's like you have zero points put in for a 23 North or 23 South. You could just draw it on a random whim. Right. Like you may, why not swing for the fence on that particular hunt? If you're, you know, on that deal, you could actually draw it. Right. And, and I think that for not like, depending on who you are, if you're a non-resident who hunts elk all over this, the state and you want to swing for the fences because you are able to hunt elk in great you know states that provide great hunting then i think you're good for it but if you're just if you're just a non-resident who wants to hunt elk in arizona i think that you kind of got to have a system to it and for me if you're if you're seven points or less then you need to be putting in for the three b's the four b six a seven east because those tags are drawable to non-residents you know three four years if you get lucky um, you had a friend, I think Michael Parks, didn't he kill a giant bull with you in 23 and then three years later drew a 4B tag, right? Yeah. I mean, so it, it can happen. And with the new, um, you know, the, the new system, the way it's set up, it can, um, you know, it, 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 it can happen. I mean, and, and you could draw two or three years in a row, quite honestly, you could draw 4A, 4B and come for three years and, and or 6B or 3B. Right. And, and it can happen where, you know, so for non-residents, I think their opportunity is actually better. I would agree. And I, I think, you know, so we're talking on that tier thing. If you're seven or less, those units I said, if, if you get into that eight to 10 is when you've got to start to evaluate it again. And I think you're looking at 4A, 5A, 5B South. And then when you get over 11 to like 15, I mean, you're looking at your seven West and your eights. And then it really nowadays for a non-resident, it's taking 16 more 16 plus points to draw nine, 10, one or three C and each hunt provides, you know, a totally different opportunity. Unit one's got three, I think it's 300 bull tags this year. That's a lot of permits. And if you've been waiting for 16 years, do you want to compete with that? As opposed to three C has, I think 150 or a hundred, 125. I think. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to figure out what you want to do and how you want to play it. Um, I, I definitely think you bring up a good point with that. When you're looking at where you want to draw, you need to give yourself the best opportunities to draw, but then you also need to look at how many other people are going to be hunting at the same time, whether it be bull or cow. Some of these hunts have bull tags. Some of them have cow tags. Some of them just have bull tags. And look at your total number of, of, of people hunting because like a unit one, in my mind, would be the best unit in the state of Arizona if they would take it to 150 bull tags and no cow tags. It'd be the best archery hunt in the state because of the geography, because of the topography, because of the amount of elk, because of where it is. It's you know probably our most beautiful elk country, but there's 300 people in there. So you're plus cow tags. So you're dealing with a situation where quality of hunt 
And yes, you may have some big bulls and, you know, some really nice, you know, 350 plus bulls, but you also have a million people camping and you also have a jillion people running around in the woods. So numbers of people, I think, weigh into what you should choose or what you should look at choosing. I think it's just, it's just an expectation. You have to have the right expectations. You know, you could go to unit one and it has 300 people. But you could put in for unit nine that has 100 permits. But typically when you draw unit nine tag, it's a big production. Yeah, there's seven so every people. hunter yeah. is going to have five guys helping him. Yeah. So what are the number? You know, if that's the case, then you're going to have five hundred, four or 500 people in the field. Right. So it's just a – it is – you know, these tags are so hard to come by that people want to give them their all. And they rightfully they should. And so you just have to understand what you're going to get into and understand those expectations. Whereas – you draw a 5A, 4A, 5B South tag, you're not going to have a lot of outfitter pressure. You know, you're going to be hunting with just your average Joe guys that wants to draw and go hunt elk. And so it just depends on what you want to do. I mean, if you want the biggest bull, you know where you need to put in for it and you know what it's going to take and you know what you're going to deal with. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like the strip. You know, you've been on the strip deer hunts. I've been on the strip deer hunts. You wait this whole long time to go on this deer hunt. And there is a ton of people a in zoo, a super yeah. remote area. Yeah. It's incredible the amount of people you run into and the people you see. And if you went to the strip any other time. 11 months out of the year, there's no nobody's one Nobody's there. there. You, could get a, you could break down and not have someone come for weeks. Yep. Maybe but months. You go there during the two weeks of the rifle hunt or the, two week, or the month of the archery hunt, and it is a zoo. You could, sell, you could put a lemonade stand up and make money. Definitely. So, <laughs> or hot dogs. It's actually a pretty good idea. Probably a shower stand would probably be the most beneficial, <laughs> especially that on be, that August time. Yeah, you probably could sell showers. Uh, let's talk real fast about, you know, you've hunted here in Arizona your whole life. Let's talk a little bit about expectations. Um, I, I've said on several of these podcast episodes lately that, you know, Arizona's quality has slipped. There was a push a few years ago to go more towards opportunity. Curious what your take is on what you've seen. Uh, you, you had an elk tag uh, two years ago. Um, and just overall theme, and you've got a lot of friends that live here and hunt elk. What, what's your thoughts on, on non-resident, uh, you know, expectations? What should they be, what should they be thinking? I, I really think you have to come into it reasonably i mean everyone thinks you draw a unit nine tag you're going to shoot a 400 inch bull look at the numbers look at where they're at um same thing with 23 arguably one of the best hunters in the in the country along with his nephew had a 23 south tag last year they did not kill giant bulls just because it wasn't there and it wasn't because of lack of effort you know and it wasn't because they didn't spend enough time in there arguably they spent more time and worked harder than 99.9 percent of hunters out there and it just didn't come together so you have to have reasonable expectations of what you're getting into. Just because you draw an Arizona tag does not mean you're going to kill a 400-inch bull, and it will impact your hunt. If you go into a hunt thinking, I want a 400 or nothing, you're probably going to go home disappointed. And you're going to be frustrated, I think. If you're hunting 9, 10, 1, 3C, I think you're hard-pressed unless you know of something secretive you know, not to shoot a bull that's 360, 365 if he comes in. You know, if you have those on the wall – fine you know pass that up and and work for something better you know can you kill a 400 absolutely but i think that you're hard pressed not to shoot a bull 
in just about any unit in Arizona that comes into that 360, 365 mark, unless you're just comfortable going home without a tag and you got the right mindset of, of what you're getting into. Yeah. Brian, let's take a quick break here. I want to thank my sponsors of the J. Scott podcast, uh, specifically Gohan Insider. They're my title sponsor. And uh, last month of January was the biggest month of Gohan Insider members signing up using the J. Scott promo code. Just want to remind you guys, uh, if you want to get all of the up-to-date draw odds, uh, non-resident, resident, and the breakdown, uh, they now have those updated on the GoHunt Insider website. Uh, you can use the J. Scott promo code, sign up, you get a $50 Kuyu gift card. Uh, I want to thank Lorenzo and his crew at GoHunt uh, for their support of my podcast. I want to thank uh, Phonescope.com. Uh, Cheston Davis and his crew up there in Beaver, Utah, uh, they do a phenomenal job of mounting uh, any any optics, uh, any binocular, any spotting scope to any phone, and uh, a lot of awesome images. You can go on PhoneScope on Instagram and check all the images out uh, from people all over the world, uh, and uh, you can use the JScott16 promo code and get a 10% discount. And I also want to thank the Optics Authority, the Outdoorsman's, uh, located here in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, 1-800-291-8065 or Outdoorsman's.com. Uh, Cody Nelson and his crew over there at the Outdoorsman's do a phenomenal job uh, being able to be guys that can tell you what optics to use. And the reason they know that is because they hunt themselves uh, they know the ins and outs of, of all the optics, and they are the optics authority. Uh, they're also selling some great tripods, and they've got all kinds of gear and, and bino, bino harnesses and um, backpacks and all, st- all sorts of stuff. So I want to thank uh, those sponsors. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, uh, uh, for your support. I uh, had my best month of, ever of downloads, number of downloads, and this podcast just keeps growing. And, uh, Brian, let's get back to this uh, this this topic this leaves us now kind of with residents and you know everyone's got their own favorite units and they've got their own secret spots and what have you i would argue there's really no secret spots i think you found that out you drew a 21 tag up here north of town extremely difficult unit to hunt very few elk really hard to get around you ended up shooting a nice bull but you worked your butt off you very well could have gone home without a bull. Right, yeah. Um, I, and, 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 you know, you've got the block units. You've got units, you know, with a 17A, B, 18A, B, whatever, and the block units that, you know, is kind of a local, you know, oh, I drew the block units. But, man, if you don't have your stuff together, you can get it handed to you quick. This, you know, in the 23 South, you know, oh, 23 South, great. Well, I got news for you. 23 South, the secret's out. I mean, when Michael Park killed his giant bull in 2009, there really hadn't been a big giant bull killed yet. Michael kills that giant. There's been some other big giants killed. I mean, the thing about the where we're at, is, and this is my perspective. I'm going to get your opinion in a second. It's like there's really no secrets anymore. You know, there's a few slider units over there, you know, the 28 and the 31 units over there next to the San Carlos that someone might slip in and have a San Carlos bull that, you know, gets lost and walks across the res fence. And, you know, but there'll be a lot of people that draw that tag and get it handed to them too. Um, you know, and then we all know about the nines and tens and ones and three C's and, and that kind of stuff. But I encourage the people out there that are uh, just getting into hunting 
Don't even put in for the 9s and 10s and 23s. Put in for the 4As and the 4Bs and the 6Bs and 3Bs and, you know, the 2A, 2B. Some of these units where you can go virtually every year. Go hunt. Because the reality is, look at 11M a few years ago. They killed a big giant bull in 11M right there in the you know municipality of Flagstaff. Right. Um, so in all of these units, if you do your homework... You, as a resident and you have the ability to really scout out these units and work hard, you can find a big bull. There's big bulls in every unit. I mean, some have more than others. And I'm not going to say there's a 400 inch bull in unit 4A or 4B, but there could be. There has been. And, 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 you know, 360, 370 is possible in some of these, what I would call lower tier units. What are your thoughts? No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, knowledge is priceless i mean if if you don't hunt elk ever and you put in for years and years and years and then you get this tag i mean you're not sure what to do so so drawing these tags going on these hunts and experiencing it it's it just makes you better down the road yeah i mean you're gonna have to make a choice how long are you gonna wait for an elk tag but i mean you can have some incredibly incredible elk hunts and some of the 5a 5b south 4a's you know 4b's i mean we had a, a, a friend last year killed a giant bull in 4B, Parker you know, Colburn. first bull ever, you know, mm-hmm. 360 bull. Yeah. And I mean, it just, and, and honestly, crazy. they, like Dar says, they sat a water, they just shot a five point. It just so happened that a big giant came in and they were happy to shoot it, but they would be just as happy to shoot a five by five that came in and Parker get his first elk with a, with a bow. Right. You know, so, and, and you look at situations like you, you know, you've killed 13 elk, uh, you know, now with your bow and arrow and, and, uh, you, and you've killed some good bulls. Um, and, and maybe you haven't killed a 390 or a 400, but your time's probably coming. And I'll bet the chances are when, when you get a chance to draw down on a 390 or 400, because you've shot all those bulls, you're going to pull it off. I sure hope so. I mean, I sure hope I get that opportunity, you know, and it, I'm young enough to where I can make that choice to just build points for the best units if that's what I want to do. Um, I'm not sure that's what I want to do, you know, because I like to elk hunt and I like to enjoy that. The benefit is, is I've got family that will have elk tags. Um, my dad will draw an elk tag probably this year, you know, and my wife's getting up there in points. And, you know, so th- those opportunities are there um, to hunt those elk and get those opportunities. And, you know, you just got to – you got to make the most of the time that you're given. I mean, you cannot kill a big bull if you don't have a tag. For sure. And and one thing I want to bring up, and it's one of these deals, I know you're going to kill me for bringing it up, but I kind of want to talk about it because it's like oh, sometimes it's the elephant in the room, and that is you can actually use the draw to your advantage. And what I mean by that is you could have a bunch of points and your buddy doesn't have any. He just drew a tag and you could apply with your buddy. I want to talk a little bit about blending your points and, and, and it's, it's smart. It's, 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 and with, let's talk about the, um, uh, the, uh, where you can put in and give your points, get your points back. The, um, point guard point guard system and, and how potentially you could use a point guard, uh, to benefit yourself? Well, I mean, blending points has been around for a long time. And basically what it comes down to is that if you and I put in together and 
I have 10 points and you have five points. Well, together we have 15 points. If you divide it by two, it's seven and a half. And because it's over that 0.5, it goes up to eight. So, so in I- other words, we would put in you and I going in together with five and with 10, with 15 points, seven and a half, round up to eight. We would go into the draw together with eight points. Right. So you've taken a situation where I only have five and you have 10 and I've upped my percentage by three points now at eight eight points going into the draw. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage people out there that have friends and have family members that, you know, maybe don't care about it quite as much as you do. If they've got a bunch of points, maybe you say, hey, I'll do all the scouting. Can I use your points? Let's average together. Let's both get a tag. You know, maybe I'll do all the scouting and, and, and let me use your points. Um you know, or maybe just let me go and we'll both do the scouting. Well, if you have a couple different ways that works is that I had a non-resident reach out to me this year. And I think, uh, his wife had, I want to say 13 or 14, maybe 15 points. And, you know, he wants to come out and hunt. He's a DIY hunter and he's been pretty successful over the years, killing all sorts of different animals in different States, but he's looking for a ret, some resident knowledge. And he'd like a resident to put in with him to draw the tag and the tag that they were trying to draw, you know, anyone with five or six points putting in with his wife would likely have pulled that tag. And, you know, he's looking for resident knowledge. So as a resident, if that's a hunt you like to hunt and this guy wants some help, you know, you do the scouting, you show him where to camp, you go in there and bust your tail, help him for four or five days. But in the return, you get an elk tag that you may have had to wait five or six more years to get. So, I mean, there's some benefits there for those non-residents who sort of don't want to hire a guy, don't want to spend, you know, the guides these days, it's 4,500 bucks to 10 grand for an archery elk hunt, depending on what you're getting. And someone may not want to spend that. And so, you know, I have a, a good friend who's a non-resident from Minnesota who wants to hunt elk out here. And he just wants to shoot a nice six point bull. And he's got, I think 12 or 13, maybe 14 points now. And here in a year or two, we're going to put in together and probably draw a 5B South tag or draw a 4A tag. Units that I know well, we'll go have a great hunt. You know, You'll needs, put in the legwork. And- yeah, and he needs my homegrown knowledge to help him. And I don't mind. You know, I want to go hunt elk. I want to go shoot a bull. So I'll find him what the best bull I can find, and I'll kill it, you know, and we'll get him on a bull, and it'll be a good experience. But, I mean, don't overlook that if you're someone with a lot of points who doesn't have tremendous amount of knowledge of the area or elk hunting and you find someone who you're comfortable with, who you trust, because that's important is you don't want the person just to bail on you. Yeah. You know, you got to have some clearly defined expectations. Speaking of that, I saw several, I've seen it several times on websites looking to buy points. I will buy your points just to apply with me. And you know, there's, which I think is perfectly legal. If someone has 22 points and someone has 10 and someone says, hey, the guy with 10 says, I want to apply with you and I'll pay you $5,000. I mean, I think it's perfectly legal. I don't know what the legality is of it, but I mean, I definitely wouldn't uh, advertise it out there. But I mean, uh, I do know that there are people with lots of points that have put in with other people with not as many points and in exchange they pay a guide fee or something like that to help somebody out yeah. um and yeah and you know, i don't know the legality of all of it i don't really care but it, it, it's a good point there's a benefit to it yeah. for everybody tell me what point guard is and how um 
how you could see that being a benefit to someone also. Well, I mean, the point guard system is a benefit because you spend five bucks and then if something happens, you know, God forbid something happens where you can't go on a hunt, you change jobs. Um, it just doesn't work out. Injury, health, injury, health, you know, all sorts of different reasons. You can turn that tag back in is up until the date the hunt starts. Now you lose your tag fee, but you gain, you get to keep your bonus points. Plus you gain that one bonus point that you would have had for that draw. So for five bucks, it's a no brainer, but you can only do it one time. You can do it one time basically per draw cycle. So what happens is, is if you do it for elk once the next time you draw that elk tag, you have to go and your points are going to zero. And then once you draw that elk tag and you go on that hunt, then you get to use that point guard again. Once you've started building points again. Right. So you can't do, you can only do it once. You can't do it more than once back to back type situation. Right. And you know, the benefit to that is, you know, there are those situations where people out there, um, things come up and they can't, maybe you draw another tag in another state or something, right. you know, anything could, it doesn't matter whatever it is. You don't have to like prove any, it's just like, if, yep, you can turn your tag back in as long as you turn it back in. The day before the hunt, correct? It has to be right. before the hunt starts. You give your tag back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's a great change. I'm glad they did it. I think it's a good change. The other, th- the other way that it benefits you is that if you have, um, say you have a son and your son, you have 20 points for elk and your son only has five or, and he wants to archery elk hunt, you can put in with your son Help him draw that tag. So you would have 20 and you'd have five. So that'd be 25. You, that's 12 and a half. It would average up to 13. You could draw a tag. You could draw just about almost any tag in the state as a resident, minus the top four or five units. You get your son a tag. You can turn your tag back in because, say, you don't want to hunt that substandard unit. Use your point unit. guard, turn your tag back in, gain a bonus point, and go right back in with your bo- just like as if you applied with the point. And therefore, and then you helped your son draw a tag, and gets, he gets to experience a hunt that may have taken him another you know, seven, eight years to draw. Yeah. There, there's one more thing, and then I want to have your kind of your final thoughts. Um, there's, a, there's some organizations out there that, if for whatever reason you can't use your tag and you didn't buy the point guard system and you want to donate your tag, uh, there are several good organizations Absolutely. out there. Um, and we have had people we know that have been on the receiving end of those tags. Um, uh, there's Outdoor Experience for All, Eddie Corona. That's the one I'm most familiar with. We've yeah. donated, I think, two or three tags to Eddie, yeah. um, one of which was a th- a 13 B strip tag and a young girl with cystic fibrosis. who's a good friend of both of ours got to go on that hunt and have a great experience and, uh, killed a great buck yeah. and, uh, you know, just being able to provide some experiences that they may not otherwise have. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. And you know, there, there's one thing. Well, it, it, one of the things that I wish that Arizona game and fish would do, and this is up for, you know, big debate and I'm sure people would argue with me, but, I want to see like if the grandpa's put in for 27 years or longer than they had bonus points, but he's only got whatever max is, is your 26, 27 for sheep or, or whatever and applied and applied and applied and applied and he passes away. I would love to see them be able to say those points pass to someone, my son or my grandson. I think that would be a really cool deal 
to have grandpa's points or dad's points and go on a hunt and shoot a bighorn sheep or shoot something on grandpa's points. You know, for someone to commit to the state of Arizona that long and have that many points, I think that would be a really cool thing. And what what I'd like to see, it's similar to that, not quite the same as that, but I think it would eliminate that type of opportunity from occurring, is I'd like to see them give 50% of the tags to the max bonus point holders. Because there's no reason that a guy who's been putting in for 25, 27 years shouldn't get his chance to draw his tag. And you still give the opportunity to, you know, half of the people to draw on the random draw. But who can argue with a guy who's been putting in for sheep for 27? I mean, Randy Spray, I just took on his sheep hunt in 6A. He had max points, which I think was 26, 27 at the time. And he had been putting in for 43 years. Yeah. Who can argue that a guy like Randy or um, – George Richardson, for example, Corky's dad, yeah. has been putting in, and great hunting family has been putting in for still has ever. Drawn. Still hasn't drawn his tag, right. but in George's case, you know, George's son, Corky's drawn the tag. George's, uh, uh, Corky's son drew the tag last yeah. year. Grandson of Yeah, George. grandson. His granddaughter, Corky's daughter, drew a tag. You know, Corky's wife's drawn a tag. I mean, who can argue that George yeah. or people who've been putting in for all that time, don't deserve that tag. Well, I, I almost think they ought to set aside a few tags for the old timers that have been putting in for a long time and be like, you know what? You've supported our state. There's, you know, whatever it is, five tags a year or something that they just get their tag. If you have over 25 points, you're automatically put in that. And it's a special, that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean I the th- people are going to send me emails and hate mail. Don't be taking our tags. It's like, Come on. If I mean, I just think that, you know, I think that all those things are good ideas, but I think the simplest way is it's a simple formula in the draw to change it from giving 20% of the tags to 50% of the tags and give or, these people or 30%. Tags. Maybe and, it bump it up to 30 or 40 or sure. You know. But see, what the benefit to that that we haven't talked about yet is that my kids are putting in right now. And arguably, if my kids continually put in every year, they will not likely ever be able to have max points for animals like sheep or animals like Because there's buffalo. too many in between that haven't it, drawn. Well, because we point creep. We yeah. talked about it before, and it doesn't go away. And so I think by upping the percentage of tags to go to, to max point holders, it's a twofold benefit. You, also, you benefit the guy who's been putting up for years, but you also benefit the brand new hunter who's just starting out and give him a chance, just a chance to get – some of those better tags. Now it's not going to happen right away, but I, I just don't see an issue with that. Another thing that I think would be a beneficial change is, you know, we have the tag transfer where, you know, you as a parent or a grandparent, you can transfer a tag to your son or daughter, or your grandson or your granddaughter. Well, what about if I drew a tag and my dad was 60 or whatever the age is you wanted to set why can't I give that tag to my dad? Yeah, I love that. Because if my dad's 65 or 70 years old and I know he's on the downhill slide or he's having trouble getting around and I draw that sheep tag or I draw that you know, elk Buffalo tag in tag unit nine, yeah. why can't I give it to him? Yeah. I mean, what's what? – I never thought of that, but that's actually – I think a pr- that would be pretty cool. Why doesn't it work both ways where if a grandson wanted to give it to his grandpa and say, here's your tag, grandpa, why couldn't that – that would be cool. Well, I mean, I think you have to set an age limit, and I think 60 is reasonable, 65, because, you know, you, you don't want people signing tags over to oh, yeah. the younger generation. But these guys, 
they've been doing it. Why can't we do that for them? That would be cool. I, I don't think you're going to see much change in the amount of people that are going to transfer tags over because the guy who drew the tag is still losing their points. Right. It's still just that tag. It's right. not like it's – it's. he's just choosing where that tag can go. Right. And, I mean, I, I just don't see an issue that with is, that. That would be neat. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing I think that they could do to make it a little different is that if you draw your third, fourth, or fifth choice – just let them keep their bonus points because those are tags that nobody really wanted and it saves the game and fish from having to do a secondary draw because right now if there's leftover tags everyone's got to mail in applications the game and fish has to go through all those applications and they have to say okay this tags you know this hunts full and they send you they have to pay for the posts to send you that check back in the mail I if you put it for third, fourth, or fifth choice, and you draw those, there are other states that do it. You're you don't use your points. Just yeah. give them the tag and move on because then you don't have to do a second draw. Yeah, because that's just more of a headache. But I would really like to see them increase the number of tags that go to max bonus point holders, and then also maybe talk about transferring tags to you know people that are sixty plus and allowing that to happen or sixty five plus because I I just think it's the right thing to do, and and I think that you know. I've got some friends that have lots of points and their dads love to hunt. And, you know, my dad, I'm fortunate to have my dad. And I can tell you right now that if I had enough points and I could transfer a tag to him that he wanted, I would totally do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I have more time to draw that tag again. Makes, makes perfect sense to me. Maybe we'll start a drive for that. I mean, I think there's some room for improvement. Yeah. You know, I, I like it's a draw. great system, I think, but you bring up some good points. Um, any other closing thoughts you got there? No, uh, obviously the draw deadline's February 14th, so make sure you get your applications in and choose your hunts wisely. Um, you know, look at the Game of Fish website, understand the draw process. I can't tell you how many people walk up to me and will tell me, oh, I drew, or I didn't draw unit one and I had 17 points, and I look at my phone because I got the stats on my phone, and I say, hmm, that's funny because nobody put in for unit one with 17 points. So know how many bonus points you have. Know what you're doing. Um, you know, I'll give you one more plug to the Bowhunting in Arizona Record Book Committee. I'm the chairman of that committee. We basically are the maintaining archery hunting record book for Arizona. And our entry fees are $20. Um, if you're a youth and you harvest an animal that qualifies to be entered in our program, the entry fee is free. This program has been going on since 1975. I think it's a good program. It provides a ton of of information on where big animals are harvested and some good stories and some good techniques. Uh, I'm hoping to get Jay to write an article in the next book that we're going to publish about how to uh, field judge sheep and things like that to provide informative information. But uh, check us out, bowhuntinginarizona.com, and see, uh, see what we're about. You can like us on Facebook or Instagram. And, uh, you know, just check us out. There's a lot of great groups out there. You may not like bow hunting in Arizona, but there's, you know, the Arizona Bow Hunters Association. There's all sorts of great organizations, Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett Club, Safari Club, that all support. We all support hunting is what it comes down to. So we all have a common love for the outdoors. I know you work really hard with uh, bow hunting in Arizona. One question I would have for you is, uh, are the minimums the same as Pope and Young for bow hunting in Arizona, or is every species different? Uh, as far as minimums uh, and uh, as far as official scores and people uh, getting their stuff scored, uh, it, it, do they have to get it by a Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett score, or can you beat a bow hunting in Arizona score or, you know, bow hunter record book score? How does so that work? So bow hunting, in, if you go to our website, um, you can find a measure 
and it's pretty informative, easy to use. And, and the got, website is? It's bowhuntinginarizona.com. Okay. But our minimum scores are similar to Pope and Young. Generally, we have a few scores that are lower. Uh, we also recognize javelina, which, for example, Pope and Young doesn't recognize. We recognize turkeys, which Pope and Young doesn't recognize. But we also have some scores that are the same um, as Pope and Young. But most of our scores are just slightly lower than Pope and Young. But in general, we try to mimic Pope, what Pope and Young does because we're both very similar organizations. I mean, Pope and Young's a national level. We're obviously on a state level. And, you know, if you're looking for a Pope and Young measure or a Boone and Crockett measure, it's all listed on our website. They can tell you, you can click on there. It'll give you a phone number and who to contact. If nothing else, you can find me on there, send me an email and I'll get you in touch with, with who to contact. You can buy our current record book off the website. Um, it's just a neat program that's, uh, that's been around for a while. And I think it's an important program to have, you know, this last week and a half was pretty rough on bow hunting in Arizona because we lost two of our, uh, two of our longstanding members in, uh, Mark Vankus and Bill Crum. So, you know, I'm looking, we're looking for some young individuals who would like to get involved and help us out. We're getting ready to try and publish this next book. And, you know, it takes a lot of effort to do some things like that. And, you know, it's just, it's a good program. We're going to do a, a measuring seminar at the Arizona Bowhunters Association banquet, which is uh, March 25th. We're going to be there from 3.30 to 6.30 measuring animals. If you want to come by and you have something you want to get measured, it's $20 to enter into our book. Uh, Pope and Young is $35. We'll also have a Boone and Crockett measure on site. All I need you to bring is bring your trophy and uh, bring a field photo if you can, and we'll, we'll be able to handle everything else. You'll also need to bring a check or cash if you're going to enter something. But uh, it's a it's a great organization. ABA is a great organization. We're happy to be partnered with them uh, for their banquet. I would encourage you to come to their banquet. It's a lot of fun, a lot of good raffle prizes, and uh, you know, just overall good organization that supports Arizona bow hunters. You know, one thing that I really enjoy about the local book is you get in there and you see a person's name and you see, you know, the score and some of the measurements. And then sometimes it'll be like unit 34A or it'll be, you know, 6B or whatever will say the unit. But then sometimes it'll be like, you know, Redfield Canyon and in unit 31 and it'll be like 1966. And I think it's pretty cool to go back and look through just just thumb through even a javelina and turkey and some of the different things it's like you can see and see some of the old canyon names and be like oh i've been there and oh and correct me if i'm wrong but the record book you you welcome the trophies that just make the minimum as much as you welcome the high-end trophies and talk a little bit just briefly about how important like just having your name in the book for historical purposes for 30 years from now purposes, even if it's not a top 50 trophy, it's way down the list, but it's just neat to see, Oh, here's Brian Rimza and he shot, you know, 15 Havelina and oh, all these different Canyon names and just kind of cool stuff. Oh, historical Arizona stuff. I like the record book for things like that because I like to be able to look through it and look at the st some of the stuff my dad harvested because obviously he harvested a lot of things before I was around and most of that stuff's in the record book and it's cool to be able to follow it and then I can be like, hey, dad, tell me about this hunt you know, because it was so long ago. He may not have told me about it as we were growing up. The other thing about you talk about you know, animals that barely make the minimum, 
that's that's still an accomplishment. I mean, that minimum is set there for a reason, and they're those are difficult minimums to meet, depending on the trophy you're trying to harvest. And the Bowhunting in Arizona record book honors a couple different types of awards, which is the Kaibab Award and the Cochise Award, and we have biennial awards, and those are all presented to people who have harvested a set number of animals meeting minimum scores. And so it's important to enter, um, you know, animals that just meet the minimum because you also work your way up to those awards. It's kind of like giving yourself accomplishment. Yeah. It's accomplishments to work, to work toward. And to some people, they don't care about those accomplishments and I'm okay with that. You know, it's, yeah. it's not for everybody and I'm, I'm fine with that. I would just encourage you to get involved and just kind of experience it and, and read the book and see, see what you think of it. You know, I mean, I mean, I think there's some really good information that can be taken from it. Um, the one other record book I didn't, I failed to mention, which is a state book is the Arizona wildlife Federation book, which is the basically the rifle version of the Boeing and Arizona record book. And they just came out, I think six, eight months ago with their latest edition. It's a great group of guys. Great book provides some awesome, awesome animals in it. And, uh, what's unique to Arizona is it, I think archery archery world records Arizona holds six or seven now. I, I know we just lost the elk to that guy who harvested the giant Montana. one in Montana, but I mean, there's no other state that compares to Arizona with world records. I mean, and hopefully some someone this year is going to draw an elk tag and take that that world record title back. But you know, it's cool. hard to beat a big bull like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Brian, it's been awesome having you on. Thanks for sharing uh, your your great uh, vast bit of knowledge and. It's always great to get your perspective and uh, commend you on the work that you've done and the work that you're doing with the bow hunting and Arizona record book. And um, you're a great friend. And, and uh, I think people really enjoy this podcast. Uh, look forward to some of our turkey hunts uh, this spring. And uh, yeah, let's hope we all draw tags. That's right. Hopefully everyone draws a tag. All right, buddy. All right.